Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the national emergency of gun violence in America. I'm Sarah Jermaine Lilly. And I'm Ty Kersley. In tonight's show, we'll have our in memoriam. We'll have a gun violence news update. Uh, we also have an interview that Kathy Marino Thomas has with the Lieutenant Governor of New York, Kathy Hochul. On tonight's show, we will also talk about the opportunism of the NRA and the way they're playing on fears during a national emergency and how it will increase gun-related injuries and deaths. We have an update. Well, anyway, I have I need an update with you. I'm sorry. Hi, Sarah. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, Ty. How are you? Okay, good. One of the things that we can do is being a WBAI buddy, remember? Yeah, well, we want you to become a WBAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. As a listener, you're already getting informed and acting in so many ways to benefit our community. You are part of our activism. And we're so grateful for this opportunity to get our message out and make a difference in preventing gun violence. We want you to become a Radio Gag WBAI buddy. So go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become a WBAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Next up, our news update. New York Attorney General Letitia James, as part of a multi-state coalition of 25 attorneys general from around the nation, has called on the Trump administration to enforce federal laws and stop companies from disseminating dangerous files for 3D printed gun files on the Internet. Attorney General James and the coalition called on the federal government to stop the company Defense Distributed from unlawfully releasing easily downloadable files with specifications for particular guns, including the Liberator pistol and a number of other weapons, which would then give individuals the ability to manufacture unregistered and untraceable 3D printed firearms that can be extremely difficult to detect even with a metal detector. Untraceable firearms are sometimes called ghost guns because they lack serial numbers or any other identifying features. At a time when first responders are overrun with calls related to COVID-19, companies should be working to limit the dangers Americans face, not increasing them by publishing files that will make it easier for criminals to get guns and for anyone to print unregistered, untraceable, and in many cases, undetectable firearms, said Attorney General James. Defense Distributed is attempting to take advantage of a national pandemic and is hoping states will not notice its unlawful distribution of files it knows it is barred from disseminating. We're calling on the Trump administration to take immediate action against Defense Distributed because ghost guns endanger every single one of us and the printing of them will only threaten to take law enforcement away from what should be their priority right now, taking care of coronavirus patients. Despite federal courts repeatedly blocking the Trump administration from allowing for the release of these 3D printed gun files on the Internet, Defense Distributed is now trying to take advantage of the coronavirus disease, public health crisis, 
and is hoping their unlawful behavior goes unnoticed. The company has willfully violated federal laws by, again, making computer files for the production of 3D printed firearms available on its website, including files for firearms that can be made with plastic and other material not detectable by standard metal detectors and that be printed with inexpensive, commercially available 3D printer. In their letter to Secretary Pompeo and Attorney General Barr, Attorney General James and the coalition asked the federal government to use both its civil and criminal enforcement power to stop defense distributed and ensure its compliance with federal laws. As both the state and commerce departments have recognized effectively controlling the dissemination of these 3D printed firearms files via the Internet is in the national security and foreign policy interests of the United States, writes the attorneys general in their letter, adding, if the federal government fails to act, these files will be distributed widely with potentially grave consequences for our national and domestic security. The efficacy of our country's existing metal detectors, a ubiquitous security device in our airports, schools, arenas, and public venues will be compromised if you do not act. In Idaho, far-right Republicans defy coronavirus health restrictions. Eamon Bundy, who led an armed occupation of a federal wildlife refuge in Oregon in 2016, defied Idaho's stay-at-home order to hold a non-denominational Easter service on Sunday. Bundy said, if it gets bad enough and our rights are infringed upon enough, we will physically stand in defense in whatever way we need to. It was reported that the event drew about 60 people. Half said they traveled from out of state. Some seemed to know each other and hugged and shook hands. No one wore masks or any other protective gear. I actually want the virus, Bundy told CNN. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. I'd rather have it now so my body is immune to it. As of Monday, Idaho was reporting more than 1,400 coronavirus cases and more than two dozen deaths. You are listening to Radio Gag on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Sarah Germaine Lilly. And I'm Ty Kersley. And now we join Kathy Marino Thomas in an interview with our Lieutenant Governor. Kathy Marino Thomas from Gays Against Guns. I'm joined today by Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. Hi, Kathy. How are you today? Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You guys are doing a fantastic job. We appreciate it very much. Thanks for the chance to talk to my friends at Gays Against Guns. You've been uh, with us shoulder to shoulder. We marched to make sure we had good gun safety laws in our state and the red flag law that we all worked for so hard for a couple years ago and uh, how important that is. So, So thanks. It's always great to see you as well. Well, we're the best in the country. And to that, I have a question for you. What went into the consideration of the designation of essential businesses. We are so happy that that the governor decided that gun stores were not essential, but we're interested to know how that decision was made. Well, basically when you're leaving stores open, you know, there's a lot of exposure to people from the cashiers or people stocking them, so the stores. So we wanted to limit stores and retail that are open to essential businesses. It's essential supplies, meaning what keeps people alive, how they survive. So we're talking about groceries, food, making sure that people have health care supplies or their medicines from a pharmacy or even the manufacturers of pharmaceutical supplies or our food chain. So it got down to looking at real basically what people need to survive during this time. And gun stores did not fit that category. 
We are so happy that you feel that way. Too many governors across the state have left their gun stores open, claiming that they were essential businesses. So we very much appreciate New York State not doing that. Um, I'd like to introduce at this point my friend here, Sarah Lilly, who's got the next question for you. So, Lieutenant Governor, how are people of color disproportionately impacted by public health threats, including uh, COVID-19 and gun violence? You know, it's, it's devastating to see the effect on communities of color and realize that, you know, communities that have been out there for a long time not having proper health care available to them, uh, different health outcomes, living in areas of higher violence because of guns, and to now know that the COVID-19 virus is really preying on them in particular. There's this, this intersectionality out there where it, almost like the worst of the worst is coming together and we're losing more people of color. They're dying at higher rates, particularly in New York City, disproportionate to their numbers among the population. And, and that's why even before this started, you know, we recognize this and we've been addressing particularly the healthcare needs and the recognition that there's, there's food deserts in communities of color. And we focused on, for example, Central Brooklyn, where I made many of the announcements for the governor uh, to, under Brooklyn to address this even beforehand. And now we're just seeing these fault lines become craters and, and huge faults where people are saying, What's happening here? We almost could predict this was coming, though, that communities that are subjected to the violence and stress and, and bad health outcomes because of uh, just societal discrimination for so long, that these are areas that are crying for help. And we have identified this and our number one, putting more testing kits, of, not testing kits, but testing availability, more drive-through testing and in the Bronx and in places like Queens and, and, um, and Brooklyn, areas where we can get people um, more frequently tested, get them into the hospitals if they need that kind of care. But also just studying this while it's going on. And our administration has determined that we can team up with our Department of Health, Northwell Health, Health, as well as our um, leadership from Albany, SUNY Albany. And they're gonna do an intense study to see what's happening in communities of color and look at the jobs they're in. Are there more people uh, from Blacks and Hispanic and other communities who are the ones on the front lines? Are they more likely to be the healthcare workers? And what's, what is that all about? They're the ones who are the transit workers. They're more exposed. It is harder for them to say, well, I'll just listen and sit home and you know, collect a paycheck. They're not in those jobs that allow them to do that, whether they're restaurant workers who are now working on the carryout and running it out to people's cars or stopping on the streets to help them get food. They're, they're, what I'm hoping from this, that there is a recognition that these are truly essential people and not just essential workers, they're essential. And we need to be focused on, on their safety, making sure that we get the guns off the streets that are responsible for the slaughter of far too many, making sure that they have better health access you know, the best health care available to them should not just be in Manhattan, but should be in their neighborhoods as well. And also just dietary and other ways that we can make sure that they have access to exercise and access to the better jobs that would allow them in a situation like this to be the ones who can work on their laptop from home and not have to be out there uh, necessarily driving a bus if they choose not to or if they'd rather do something else. We have to create more economic opportunities for them 
coming out of this crisis. So if they choose to do something else, they'll have the workforce training, they'll have the jobs available. So I think it has, this has to be an opportunity for us to equalize a situation which has been skewed against minority communities for far too long. I'm sure that your office will get that done. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to hear about all of those initiatives and the world is going to look very different when we come out of this. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. We really appreciate your time and having you here to address these concerns. So it's important to take a look at the NRA because we know that they play on fears during national emergencies in order to get more membership and in order to increase their influence as a gun lobby, resulting in profits for the gun industry. Ty, you were talking about the mindset of someone like Ammon Bundy. Do you want to explain what that story is a little bit? Well, a few days ago, um, he made news again in Oregon, basically was refusing to not go to church on Easter. One of the things that I read that he had said was, you know, they're like, hey, look, this is actually supposed to be helping people in your community and you don't want to get sick and spread it. And he's like, I hope I get it, uh, saying that then that way I'll be immune and my family will be immune. And it just seemed to be a common thread of irresponsibility. One, the whole point of us separating and, and isolating is to protect the vulnerable people in our lives. And in our friends' lives and just our community in general. But to defy that by using it as, hey, it's my right to practice my religion. It's my right to congregate. It's true. We're protesters as well. And we use that right a lot. But this is kind of the most inconsiderate time. I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) Well, you know, I'm glad you made that point because Bundy says... I'm young and healthy. You know, we're all strong. We're going to be fine. And that is the point. People who have a strong constitution and a strong um, immune system are going to be fine. It's the vulnerable people that we have to protect. That's why we're staying home. We're not necessarily staying at home so that we don't get the virus. We're staying at home so that we minimize the spread. Right, Sarah. Like, that's the exact same mentality I think he would probably use as a gun owner. And you, we hear these same stories over and over again about how I'm a responsible gun owner or we've talked to vendors at gun shows and they've said, Oh, but I won't sell to someone unless this. And I'm like, I know that's you and you can justify it to you, but this is the whole community that's affected by gun violence. It's not just because you have your gun and when you're using it at the range or, you know, when you're showcasing it, it's the violent part of guns that we are protecting people from and your children who are the most vulnerable. So it's just the same as trying to protect people from a virus by sacrificing. And that's what these whole world has had to do to a certain extent to sacrifice. And then you have one person say, but I'm not going to because of this other thing I want to protest or this other belief I have. So Ammon Bundy, and then uh, we have to talk about the NRA because the NRA is exploiting these fears that people like Ammon Bundy play upon as well. And they do it over and over again throughout national emergencies. And you see gun sales spike. And of course, the NRA wants to take advantage of all these people, make sure that they become members so that they continue with their political clout. But they also are a lobby for the gun industry. And the ultimate goal there is 
profits. So they exploit Hurricane Katrina. They exploit Hurricane Sandy. They exploit fears around Obama's election. Oh, it must mean that gun laws are going to become tighter and stricter, and I'm not going to be able to get one. I have to run out and get one now. After each one of these national emergencies, the NRA has their campaign and gun sales spike. And then we see a surge in firearm-related injuries and deaths. Uh, and that's that just goes back to what we're trying to do is reduce the amount of access. Uh, and it seems that I even want to say people probably aren't getting, you know, their first gun, but they will, in these instances that you listed, they're probably getting additional guns. Uh, and now I think what's unfortunate is the NRA is taking advantage of this situation to get new gun owners uh, because they can really, really lay it on thick. I mean, this is a scary time. It is a scary time. And people do have fears. When I went on the NRA's website, they ha were sponsoring a, a giveaway of guns and accessories. They are sponsoring an ad of uh, a woman of color sitting in a wheelchair holding her assault rifle talking about how she needs to to defend her home and her property. Well, if you're not prepared to defend your stockpile of food, then you might just be stockpiling for somebody else. You see this ad and you forget all about the fact that she is making herself more vulnerable by having a weapon in her home. And it's an easy weapon to sell to someone who is new to guns that didn't read magazines about them before, or maybe to buy an AR-15 nowadays. It can be sold to someone who, look, this is light. It's not going to give you much kickback. You can fire as much as you want. You'll eventually hit him. Like all of these like great selling points, which are repulsive to us, but still when someone is scared, it completely makes sense that they would buy into, Hey, if this thing is easy, you know, it, you could do this with a little taste. I think this is a missed opportunity to talk to gun owners directly. The people that are giving them money, this industry that they're supporting, they could have said, look, you're going to be home. Your children are home. These are things you need to do about your weapon, think of your weapon. You know, let's talk about these fears that people have. And there are three that are tops. And the first one, the fears that people have in a, during a national emergency, the reason why they'll go ahead and buy a gun is because they're afraid of a breakdown of the social order. We have not lived through that many tragedies, but we certainly see how they play out on TV and movies. We certainly see that We've, I mean, I've lived through riots before. We've lived through that before. People can turn into a mob or, you know, in modern day culture, it's not as common, but we have seen small pockets of this happen. But also what we're seeing right now is you should be calming down. You should be relaxing. You should be you know, taking advantage of this time to accomplish something else. If you're, if you're not already dealing with the illness or, or anything else, this is a time that the last thing you want to add to it is that you think the world's going to end. We got to look at the ways that the world is coming together, going outside at 7 p.m. and hearing people clap and bang pots and pans to support our uh, frontline workers. Which will happen right after this show. Yeah. So we're going to have to go out and clap right after. <laughs> All right. The next one, the top fear is uh, the police response time. 
People are afraid that the police, if there is an incident, I need to defend my own home because the police just can't get here in time. Let's break that down a little bit. Well, this is my favorite topic of how militarized do we want to be at every level. I certainly see the chance of someone being, you know, a hero of the day, you know, in, in certain circumstances. But when you're focused your entire life off of, oh, and one day I get to kill someone if there's an emergency. I, I don't know why you want to put yourself in that state of mind. But if you're afraid and somebody's telling you this is the answer, then once again, it's it's kind of tasteless. I would say the response of police to you as not being a priority is fine. But if you have a gun involved, then the police are going to get there eventually. So don't be holding a gun when they show up. Then here's the thing. Then you need to be trained like the police, in which you probably aren't. And if you uh, and if you have a dog that's barking, and if you have a neighbor that's calling you and saying, you know, hey, I just saw, you know, is this character who's hanging around out here somebody that you know, or should we look into this? If if you have some of these things in place, you're not going to need a gun, and you're not going to put yourself at risk because you own one. But let's talk about the third fear. Because the third fear is uh, a fear now that because of COVID-19, prisoners are being released from prisons. So people are imagining that... There's uh, a busload of people being dropped off in the wilderness, I assume. I don't know. <laughs> or just that's midtown. That's what they're imagining. <laughs> is that what's really happening? The only thing that I've heard is nonviolent criminals who are also getting their sentence shortened is from uh, meaning they were already on good behavior and all the, on their way out. I would also, knowing how the government works, you should have a place to go uh, because you can't be putting people out in the streets in general right now. So all of this is organized, but it's also the first thing you say is prisoners released, then yes, you're going to spark fear in someone. Exactly. The society's going to break down. Police aren't going to get to you on time. All the prisoners are going to be out. I mean, yeah, sure. Scare some poor woman into buying a, you know, a weapon that she's never been trained on just so you can make extra money. That's what I hear. Got it. So the Brady campaign has, has some talking points now. They're saying that you should ask, act, talk, and learn about gun ownership about the people in your family who own guns, about uh, about your neighbors, about gun ownership in your community. And with that in mind, what are some questions that we need to ask? So that would be my first question. Have you been trained on what you just bought? Or is it the coolest thing you saw? Or maybe you've read about it. Maybe you've Maybe you have read about this. Maybe you think you know about it, but have you been trained on it? And have you been trained on this weapon? Because there's a difference between maybe the weapon you own. Um, when you are issued a weapon in the military, you're trained on it first. So don't just buy a new weapon and take it home without proper training. So the first question is, have you been trained on the weapon you bought? I would then ask, who else knows that it's in the house? And I've lost family members because of this, of people not knowing there was a gun in the house. So who else knows it's there? That's the second question. Next is, are there children present? Are there children in the home? Now are they home all day? Uh, are they bored? Are they looking for something to do? Like, think of these things when you ask this question. That's why we're asking, because you have curious kids that get to stay home all day, much longer than a blizzard snow day. This is a new way of life for a long time. And you have to rethink of 
where your weapons are and, and is it loaded? Uh, never store these weapons loaded. That's the, all of these stories we read, Sarah, over and over again. They keep ending with, I didn't know it was loaded. That would be my next question. Then is the ammunition stored separately? Because if, if someone's going to wander upon this gun in your house and you think you have it stored, if they find it and then there's the ammunition with it, that is just a safety precaution you can take is storing these two things separately. The gun is a lot less dangerous uh, without ammunition. Yeah, you can find more information on the Brady Campaign website and you can Google Ask, Act, Talk, and learn. Well, it's time to end our show. So here's the deal. You have to become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Go to give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602. That's give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602. It's time for Hell Yes! Hell yeah to Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul for fighting for our communities. Hell yeah. Hell yeah to Tish James for fighting ghost guns. Hell yeah. Hell yeah to seniors at McKinney Secondary School for the Arts for learning, growing, and winning the fight against COVID-19. We are Gays Against Guns. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and wherever you love to listen to your favorite podcasts. Bye, everybody. Stay safe.